keep coming. Just keep coming. When it's wrong, you keep coming into the doorway, say, hey, I want to talk to you about this because it didn't go well. Because conflict, especially with our kids, we have to understand that conflict is there for understanding. That's why we have conflict. Most of us don't do conflict well and we avoid it. Instead of saying, more, there's something that we need to understand about what the situation because we're in conflict right now. So to me, conflict can be juicy because that means if I get to understanding, then I go deeper into the connection of harmony of the, of the relationship. Welcome to the Dignity of Suffering. Have you ever been brought to your knees by the challenges of life? What if you could enter the world of the therapist, be a fly on the wall, and hear their stories and insights into life's biggest challenges? Discovering a place to learn from the experiences of others who've tried to find dignity in their suffering. Each week, Mitchell Smolkin takes a candid look at the trials and tribulations of being alive. Mitchell is a registered psychotherapist, author, and speaker. He hopes to show that slowing down and becoming curious about our human experience can enrich our perspectives and plant our feet more firmly on the ground. Now, here's Mitchell. Hey there. Welcome to episode 14. I am delighted to bring this episode on all things parenting with Pripo Teblitsky to you today. From the minute I heard Pripo's voice, uh, I felt a kinship with his raw and relatable style of connecting. Prepo is a licensed clinical mental health counselor in private practice in Asheville, North Carolina, and he's worked with thousands of couples and individuals over the last 17 years. He's also the host of the Relationships Let's Talk About It podcast, which is actually how I was first introduced to him. I'm going to let our conversation speak for itself. Prepo and I obviously share a love for talking about parenting. And it was an incredible pleasure to hear him open up about his life, his son, and his passion for creating a safe emotional landscape for his family to thrive. I'm so grateful for all of you who are listening. I hear every day from you from all over the world. And those of you that support the podcast financially, thank you so much. If you'd like to come on board, you can go to mitchellsmolkin.com. There's an area there to click. And if you love the podcast, please subscribe. Let people know about it. Your reviews on Apple, they help a great deal. So hope you love this ride with Prepo and I. So Prepo, we've been going back and forth a bit because it's summertime and one of the reasons we've been going back and forth is that we're both trying to steal time with our own sons. Yeah, I could talk to you all day about what sounds like a shared love and a shared intensity, actually, that I don't think exists everywhere. And nor do I want in our conversation today for it to come across in any pretentious way around parenting. But at the same time, we're both clinicians and psychotherapists. And I love something you said in one of your podcasts on parenting, which was that you, in doing this work, had, had learned so much with couples and individuals about the pitfalls of development when it comes to children. And so in the spirit of just sharing our love today in this conversation, I would appreciate kind of just talking together about our children and what what you think what i think helps them develop into a loving sensitive most of the time grounded <laughs> individuals so how did you i mean when did you always know you wanted to have a, a kid was that always in the in the cards for you was it something that came mm. later yeah that's a great question I think it started with my relationship growing up with my parents and and with my father, just that, that father-son relationship. I so enjoyed being a son to my father and how we cultivated our relationship. And I remember feeling really young at maybe in my early teens and thinking, oh man, that would be really cool to, for it mm. to be reversed. You know, what, what's that going to be like when I'm a father? So I, I remember based on our relationship mm -hmm. that it was a little bit of a focus of what 
I would like to feel and experience as as the flip side on the coin of being a father. So, yeah, I would say that I always had that in me that I wanted to have the experience because I had such a good experience. My, mm-hmm. especially with my father, he didn't yell at me. He never hit me. He told me he loved me. He kissed me all the time. So I had a very healthy relationship with men and in all of my family. So the sensitivity that you and I were talking about before of uh, how to relate as a boy with a father, I got that at an early age to be able to do that. Yeah. So I remember there was a conversation. I lived with my father when my parents were divorced. When I was about 14, I moved in with him. And we went, when the first day I moved in, he said, there's three things to our relationship, communication, communication, communication. <laughs> and I just, I just love that. You know, I would walk home from work, from school. He'd ask how the day went. And I would say, it was all right. He'd say, how'd it go? I'd say, it's all right. He'd say, how'd it go? And then I would tell him. He would come home from work. How was work? It was okay. How was work? It was okay. Yeah. And so, we, 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 yeah, we learned, we learned how to be really comfortable in that way. Also, what he did was he said to me, it was basically, I really felt my father was kind of hands off in many ways. He was like, I trust you. You'll make your decisions and you'll be fine. And that's, that really stuck with me. And so mm-hmm. I have this tape inside of my head that I say, you know, to people, trust your path as a parent and trust your child's path. It's like trusting that path. Uh, not that we have to get everything right. It's just trust ourselves, trust our child. And, and that's what I took, especially with my son is, you know, there's no linear path. He's on his path and I need to trust and not get freaked out because something's not happening according to how my expectations. Well, I mean, there's so many directions to go in in this regard. But related to what you just said, before we started recording, you talked about the difference between being focused on children being successful in the world, i.e. with their careers, education, versus, I think, a kind of sense of their own curiosity and and security within themselves. And when I prefaced our chat just now, I said, you know, grounded most of the time, because I don't like getting into absolutes and I feel like we get into absolutes a bit too often. And even in our field, we talk about safe attachment versus what, like always being safe. I mean, these things don't exist. And I think it's important to just model that, that we get a bit hyper-focused on, you know, always being a certain way. But the reason I love talking with you about this is because seeing adults as clinicians, often that relationship to the self, which I think you're talking about, a sense of strength in one's choices or knowing that someone has your back or the space that you can come home as you're saying and just have this this perpetual curiosity rather than than reactivity i know that in the podcast that i listened to that you did you'd made mention of that and that's also close to my heart which is a kind of almost it's like an unconscious reactivity actually that i think parents don't even realize because they love everyone loves their kids you know i mean it's Right. Like that's without question, the vast majority of people that have children will die for them. But I think you and I are zeroing in on something much more subtle around what you just mentioned, which was was the path of the child and how that demands a lot from the parent to hold and not react. And I think over time to grow with the difference the child is presenting to them. And I wonder if you could talk a bit about what that's like both with your kid, but also clinically in the sense of, of what, what, what it means for a parent to have to like absorb these changes in children that we don't expect. And that I think no matter how much we love our kids can oftentimes cause us anxiety, fear, we're caught off guard. Uh, you know, I'm curious whether that happened to you as a dad, but also mm. what you mm-hmm. see in the parents you work with. Yeah. I think we all know, but those of us that are parents know that this is the most challenging pathway that we've ever experienced in life. It's it's all there. You know, everything that we want in, let's say, our spiritual path is right there. Compassion, patience, kindness, generosity, whatever it is, we have that opportunity, especially as as parents. And I remember there was a time where I started getting when he was a small teenager, maybe in 13 or so forth, I, I got too caught up in the, the aspect of trying to create this human being to, to do things appropriately. You know, he needs to have responsibility. He needs to 
have discipline. And I see that as a clinician. A lot of parents talk about their fears of their kids going awry and not having that. And I remember when he was spending a lot of time in his room and he would come out of his room and that was my moment to say, hey man, like, <laughs> do you remember when I so told you to empty out the dishwasher? And and I'd watch his, his face and he'd roll his eyes, you know, like, ah. Next time, hey, hey, son, can I talk to you? Roll his eyes. And I, and I realized every time, almost every time that I'm getting his attention, I'm bringing to mind what I want him to do or perhaps what he's not doing correctly in some way. And I thought, holy shit, he gets that all day long at school and so forth. Why can't I just accept him who he is? So I changed that. I remember one time I asked him when he got out of his room, hey, man, can, can you come down? I want to talk to you came downstairs and I looked at him, I said, did I tell you that I just love looking at your face? <laughs> and he looked at me all puzzled. I went, that's it. Go ahead. See ya. And, and, you know, for half a dozen times I would do that. Hey man, did I tell you how much, you know, I really care about, I love how you treat the cats. And, and then one day he came out of his room. I said, Hey son, I said, Hey dad. Yeah. I'll come down. I'll take out the, the dishes out of, there was this, when he felt that I was seeing him for who he is and not for, again, what he does in the world or what he does for me, there was a real shift in our, in our relationship. So I think as, as also as a clinician, when parents are kind of freaked out about the direction of where their child is going, I like to stress the focus of the relationship, feeding the relationship, not the content. You know, you're going to have issues with your kids throughout their life as they grow older with sex, with money, with drugs or whatever. It's not about how am I going to have that drug conversation? How am I going to have that sex conversation? It's more about if you cultivate the relationship with trust, with openness, your kid's going to talk to you about all that stuff. It's going to be a lot easier to be able to make your mistakes. My son and I, when I make a mistake and when I mess up or I'm short, we apologize a lot to each other. I walk up to him, hey man, I'm so sorry I gave you that energy. And he's like, that's okay, dad. You know, and he mm -hmm. drops it because mm -hmm. we don't have a lot of the stuff that's built up. Sure. So I guess both ways from being a parent as a clinician, I would just note in some aspect of, are we feeding the relationship? Are we building how we feel around each other? The confidence of being able to trust, the confidence of, allowing somebody to have an experience to just acknowledge and validate are we appreciating on a very deep level so that when we do have challenges that we can have those talks because it's already based on on the connection around appreciation and depth as opposed to going always after what needs to be improved and what needs shift and change so that's what i'd like to stress to people is like i know some people might say, what does that mean to work on the relationship? Well, we can talk about it, but it is focusing more on how am I relating and am I feeding how I want us to be as opposed to getting caught up in the freak out of the issue of the day. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I love that shift where you, you recognize that there was a kind of repetition in the dance with your son where he was anticipating a kind of fraught interchange around chores and that i mean i mean working with couples and families i mean that's kind of the bread and butter of the work very often where there where there develops over time a fear of actually being vulnerable right that there's a fear mm -hmm. That if you go into something, it's going to be like touching hot coals. And so the nervous system is so exquisitely designed to then organize itself to not get into relationship, right? To, to avoid the anxiety of the relationship. So what a lovely turn to, to feed, as you said, the relationship and actually like, you know, in a, in a, in a really subtle way, just imbue the connection with him with a kind of love and, a, and, a, and an admiration for him so that he can feel more relaxed uh, mm -hmm. to get close. Because it, what, what hit me and what hits me all the time is just how fraught, I mean, how many people do you meet who are estranged from their parents, right. right? How many people do you meet who can't stand to go over to their parents' house for any holiday or like, it's amazing when you think about human beings, right? Think about human beings, just, just the way this kind of plays out, you know, in these intergenerational mm. relationships, how utterly fraught and 
what, what I thought as you were talking, and I guess one of the challenges is, is that we're always carrying around a degree of worry about taking mm. care of the organism, right? That, that sort of primordial part of us that, that I think we're always feeling, right? And, and it can shift between mothers and fathers and there's different degrees. But, and I guess what I was hearing a little bit in what you were saying was that we somehow have to work to calm down the worry. Yeah, yeah. Because if we're always uh, yeah. reacting to the worry, the kid, the, the kid's going to just not hate, going to hate kind of interacting with us because they're just exactly. going to feel. Exactly. I, I, you know, I grew up in a Jewish family and, and so there was a lot of that worry that was put on to me, even in the sense of, it was always be careful, be careful, be careful. And I made a conscious effort that I wasn't going to use that word with my son. What I changed is I say to him, or I've said to him, be focused instead of be careful. And that was a huge shift. Like I remember we were when we were living in, in Hawaii, we were on this kind of a hill mountain place where there was a party and there were some steep drop-offs and he was two years old, three years old. And I remember walking him around the periphery and just saying, see over there, that's a little steep, right? We, you need to be focused when you walk in there and you need to be focused there. And and I, I was hands off after that, you know, and, and there's something about when I would see him run, I would just tell him, Hey, be focused of that, of that tree over there, not be careful of that tree. And that worry, as opposed to what I actually wanted him, when parents say, be careful, what they want you to do is stay focused. <laughs> so why not tell us, tell them what we want them to do and so forth. And, and then I started building that trust you know, with him because he was in his body. If I was in worry all the time, he wouldn't, he would feel that lack of confidence mm-hmm. because he felt energetically my confidence in him that he was able to expand on that. Cause I know what it feels like on the other end growing up as a child and not having that confidence, even being 28 years old and quitting my corporate job and buying around the world ticket. The first thing that I think my mom said, it was like, Oh my God, you know, are you going to be safe? Instead of like, wow, that's going to be a freaking incredible journey for you, right? Those little incidences, those little moments, we have to watch our automatic reactions. Yeah. What do we want for our child as opposed to what do we fear for our child? Yeah, I got so many memories. One is this park near our, our apartment with a fantastic kind of gravel hill. And my son was seven and he wanted to take it at supersonic speed on his scooter. And I said to myself, yeah, he's probably going to hurt himself. And I shut up <laughs> and I was like, great, he's going to hurt himself. You know, and he took it and he wiped out spectacularly. <laughs> you know, I think he scraped like side of his leg. I ran to him, of course, you know, show him I was there. It looked awful, you know, like brushed himself off and ran back up and like did it again. And I just like inside, I was like, whew, like, you know, or we were cliff jumping, as I was telling you uh, before we started yesterday. And, you know, we were, you know, we were six meters, sharp edges, you know, and mm. the vibrations like in my, you know, just and I think at one point, you know, I was pretty hands off. But at one point I was like, hey, we're close. Those dad, I'm OK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's yeah. that. But before we move on, I just want to mention one thing about what we do for a living, because I think. Therapy gets kind of thrown around. It's so easy for someone in a in a fight to be like, you need therapy, or a friend to be like, you need therapy. Or and what came to mind as you were talking, because it can be sometimes a little bit not not, not mysterious, but therapy can kind of meander and there's so many ways that we can approach these things. But one thing that comes to mind for me when you mentioned growing up in a Jewish family is that families have different stories, right? Sometimes, for instance, I went to a lecture on replacement children, you know, children that were born because there was a, a miscarriage or a child died. And, and the, this clinician that done this research talked about how it's so much harder for parents, you know, when they have a child that replaced someone that, that was lost or that, that their nervous systems are like, nothing bad can happen to them. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so as much as you and I are sitting here and kind of talking about and saying, yeah, you know, I know that for some people listening out there, probably, you know, in the nervous system, whether it's that or whether it's, it's, you know, a history of Holocaust or loss in family, or it's really, really profoundly difficult for the nervous system to tell the difference between a real threat and a perceived threat. And for me, that's one of the reasons to go to therapy, if you notice that when you're with your kid, you're tense and you can't let go, 
and you still want to have a relationship with them when, when they're older. Right. <laughs> for, for me, that's one of the very pragmatic reasons to go and just open that can of worms up and just practice putting language to these fears so you can, because, because as you pointed out, you know, if that's always dominating the intimacy, right. uh, the child is not going to feel like they're their own person and they're going to put a wall up. And that's just devastating as a parent. Right. And, and I think into that note, whether I say that in my therapy to my clients or myself, there's a thought process that I have in some way is, is just trust my ability to respond. Not that I know what I'm going to do, not mm-hmm. try to figure it out, that, that, that I have and build more of that confidence of just trusting my response, that I am going to respond. And if I don't hit the bullseye, I'll keep responding. I'll keep responding, not trying to figure out what the right answer is. And I think that's important for, for parents is, is the more that we get our, our efficacy of how we respond, then when people say, well, what are you going to do about it? I don't know, but mm. I know I'm going to respond, especially mm. if the focus is connecting in the relationship to validate, to acknowledge, to be heard, to be vulnerable. I know that I can keep responding in that way and that it will develop in a certain direction. A lot of people get really frozen and they don't respond. They don't have the confidence in themselves to respond. And I'm not talking about respond in a good way. I'm just talking about respond. So that's an aspect is to cultivate our own confidence in some way, our efficacy to have, to focus on the ability and the confidence in our ability to respond to a situation. And of course, we know the difference between reaction and and responding coming from more of a grounded standpoint and more of our heartfelt connection to the relationship as a parent to a child. So I think that that's also important when people say, what do I do? I said, I have no idea what you'll do. And can you feel just some comfortableness on that you will respond and you will figure it out? Because that's what I tell my son. I don't know what you should do here, but you'll figure it out. That's what my father used to tell me. You'll figure it out. And I was like, come on, dad, tell me how to figure it out. No, 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 you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. That's a wonderful atmosphere to grow up in, to have the confidence that I don't know what's best for your life. You do, and you'll figure it out. Mm. We can do that together mm. in some way, but I know you'll figure it out. Mm. Yeah. Well, because what I'm hearing, there's two things I'm hearing. One from something you said before, which is very close to my heart. But the first one, I guess, is that that the, the child's the child's relationship to their own self isn't being modeled by the words the parent says. That's the mistake I think that's often made when it comes to saying, oh, you should do this in your life. Or no, 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 because often we might be reacting from a place of fear and anxiety. It's actually coming from watching the parent within their own axes and their own relationship to their own instincts. <laughs> you know, is, is my parent grounded, rooted like a tree? And again, we're not always rooted like a tree. No. And that goes to the no. second point, which was we can repair it. You know, like you said, exactly. if we're exhausted, if and there's great evidence that that's, the child just wants to know that you're going to come back. That that's it. They don't need to know you're perfect. But but to your point, there is something about a kind of rootedness and kind of relate, talking from one's own place that I think models for them just a sense of strong curiosity about their own life, which is indispensable, right? When you imagine your kid twenty years from now, in at whatever they do, you know, whatever they do, they're an artist, they're a lawyer, they're a, you name it, doctor. They're just sitting in the room with whoever they're with, and they have some sense of the relationship to their own self. That's it. That's it. That's it. And one way that we can model it, like you're saying, is when we have that sense in ourselves. My wife is a wonderful model in that. And I remember one time my son was small, and we were on a playground, and he got hurt, and he came running up to me. And I was like, tell daddy, where are you hurt? Tell me what's going on. And my wife just looked at me. She said, Will you just hold around him? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm trying to figure out where, what, what's going on with him. He went off. He played again. Ten minutes later, something similar happened. He came up to me, and luckily I remembered, and I just scooped him up, and I just held him. Yeah. And about 20 seconds later, he's squirming his way, and he left. Yes. And I thought, holy shit. He just needed a witness of his experience. He didn't need me to figure it out at all. As I stay grounded in just witnessing his experience and holding him in that space, physically, because he was small, but holding him in that space, he was able to have that experience move, that traumatic experience move. 
And that was really an eye open to me as he grew older, when he would have some aspects of freak out, if I could just hold and witness his experience and be grounded in that way to help him move that energy in some form, mm -hmm. his own thinking or if it was physical or whatever, that was a huge shift in our relationship. Yeah. 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 It made me think of, I think it's Christopher Bolas. He's a British writer, psychotherapist who wrote about this idea called the unthought known. And I think what he talks about is a kind of metabolization of what can't be spoken in a given moment. What isn't, you know, and for instance, in therapy, I'm, I've been really fixated on this lately where, where therapy begins from the point of view of, of something is really wrong. Somebody comes in, all of this is wrong with me. I'm hiring you to fix it. There's this unconscious collaboration with a kind of idea that something's really wrong. Mm. And that, that holding, which, which to your point, right? Your kid comes, I want to find out what the hell happened, <laughs> you know, which can raise the anxiety level, right? It's like yeah. now both people are shivering and, and, Sometimes, to be honest with you, there are these moments as a therapist where I feel kind of inept because I'm, I'm not jumping into the fray. I'm not taking the bait to kind of also panic. I'm just, mm -hmm. just sitting there and letting it wash over me and listening and trying to you know, just make room, I guess, for whatever anguish is present so it doesn't, it's not reacted to. And that's what I hear you saying a little bit yeah. is just this. And don't you feel a trust in that? Do you trust, like there's a trust when you do that, isn't there? Well, what late, lately, what kind of catches me off guard and happened a few times where somebody will come in and they'll say something like, oh, you know, what I really took from the last session, what you said was that actually like, it's okay. And I know I didn't say that. Like, I know, like <laughs> I, I'm sitting there going like, no, I didn't actually say that. What I, but what I didn't do is I didn't, I probably had a conversation with them about it, but at no point did I ever label it or panic about it. And somehow right. through that osmosis, it was like, oh, this is, this can breathe. Like it's not, right. nothing's going to fall apart. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I had this incident where somebody, I was, I was pouring out my guts about some trouble that I was having. And I remember this person looked at me and they said, wow, man, like I have no freaking idea what you should do, but <laughs> I really admire your problem. And I was like, wow, that felt really good. Like not trying to help me move it, but what created space, like, wow, that's a doozy. And let's just be with that. That felt really good in some way, instead of just the knee jerk reaction to try to fix and change. And that's what we do, especially men, right? We go to the fix it mode instead of staying with the uncomfortableness, you know, <laughs> we, we, I call it, you know, get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And that's what we got to do a lot as parents is get comfortable with the uncomfortable that's the trusting that path and trusting our child's path in some way. Yeah. I, this is coming up. It's a little bit of an offshoot, but I remember when my son was into um, video games as a teenager and, and it was like, you know, violent, you know, war type video games. And I remember I was watching him from behind and I looked at him and said, man, they're just training you to kill Arabs. And he looked at me and said, Hey dad, well, you can be, you can switch. You can be the Arab and then you can kill Americans. And I was just like, you know, shaking my head and, and then he, he's just playing it. And he said, hey, dad, like, I said, yes. Huh? He said, are you finished judging yet? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he just said it. He just said it so calmly. And I said, man, you're right. He said, dad, I, I, I'm just playing here. I'm just playing here. And it was a beautiful teaching. You know, he noticed the judging. He didn't get defensive around it. He noted it to me. And my relationship with him was like, hey, I got to take that juice. You know, he's got something to teach me. You're right. I'm judging. For what? What reason am I judging? And that's part of, I think, that, that path of trusting both, you know, trusting the input coming from your child and, 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 and vice versa, that we all have good nuggets. If, we, if we're able to say it in a form, in a way that is, is of receptivity. And I think that that's the part that parents have to, and, and the dynamic of children is just that practice. It's like, how do we keep, like you said, keep coming, just keep coming. When it's wrong, you keep coming into the doorway, say, hey, I want to talk to you about this because it didn't go well. Because conflict, especially with our kids, we have to understand that conflict is there for understanding. That's why we have conflict. Most of us don't do conflict well and we avoid it. 
instead of saying, more, there's something that we need to understand about what the situation because we're in conflict right now. So to me, conflict can be juicy because that means if I get to understanding, then I go deeper into the connection of harmony of the, of the relationship. And so I don't, I don't think about conflict anymore, especially within my family, as something wrong. I see it as such an opportunity to go deeper into harmony and connection and intimacy. What what I love about the story you told about your son in the video games is something that that I really, really think is overlooked. And again, attachment now is something everybody talks about, right? Attachment is is a big deal. There's a ton going on around it. It's what I trained for many years in. But there's something very specific that you mentioned that is, I think, sometimes not understood, which is the attachment to the parent is so strong that when a parent makes a comment about something the child loves or is doing, such as, oh, isn't what you're doing violent? Or isn't what you're doing, isn't the activity you're, you're in, isn't that going to harm you in some way or turn you into a bad person, right? The adult thinks, I'm protecting you. Right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what actually happens is you're subtly and slowly destroying the relationship because the, the attachment says, you don't trust me. You think I'm doing something wrong. You think I'm going to turn out to be a violent person. I can't share with you anymore. Right. I'm not going to let you in anymore. It's so subtle, but it's like water against the shore. You, you do that mm. enough times and you'll and then you'll be scratching your head down the road and saying, I don't understand why you don't trust me. I, I did everything for you. But that subtle shift of like, no, you came in and you undercut. You didn't listen to something I loved. And I think this is, you know, Gabor Mate says this very well about addiction because everyone's so scared, addicted to video games, addicted to alcohol. He says, no, it's not why the addiction, it's why the pain. Pain drives addiction. That's right. That's right. You can have a glass of wine, you can play a video game, but if you're lonely and isolated, then it'll become something that you have to, in a, a schizoid way, kind of disappear into. And so that's something I think that's often a bit confused where we're harming the subtlety of the relationship, but we think we're protecting. And it's a, it's a fine line, which I, you know, sometimes also fall into because you just want to do good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you just said, like a lot of parents have a hard time even fessing up to some of that inadequacy to their kids, you know, to be able to, what what point is the discernment of saying, Hey, you know what? That was my fear that I just projected Mm. out to you. That's my stuff, you know, that's my fear that you're not going to do this or end up like this and so forth. I just want you to know, like, that's not all of who I am. And can you recognize that? Can you forgive me for that? That's going to show up again. How do we deal with that? And a lot of parents don't want to have that vulnerability with their kids. They don't want it to be either used against them or the old authoritative aspect of the parents got to get their shit together and so forth. But in a true human relationship, in a family dynamic, we have to realize that, boy, we have to, te- that, that's a great teaching yes. for, for our child to be that, that vulnerable to say, I'm bringing my stuff in that. Yes. And I apologize yes. for that. And yes. I'm working on that just as much as I want you to work on your stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, love, I love that you, in a felt way just now, communicated how humiliating it can be to come back and and talk about it because for me when i when i put that together in my head that's parenting mm. right people are often like yeah. what's the hard work of parenting yeah of course <laughs> food on the table and look for anybody listening who's in an environment or a culture right now where look you're just getting food on the table and going to work fair enough right sometimes there isn't time for the luxury of emotion right therapy can be yeah. a a bit of a of a luxurious first world thing but but at the same time that humiliating moment of fessing up, that actually is the moment where it sends a signal to the child's brain and says, look, I have the ability to take a moment that was difficult, put language, let you in, kill off my persona around it, relate to you. And the young child's brain goes, oh, wow, you yeah. can do that. I can do that. I can come back. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And they, and they can do that. And that happens also through modeling, not just what we're doing interactively, inter- interpersonally with our child. I remember there was a time where I, I gave my wife some funky energy. And I remember just saying to her, hey, babe, you know, I'm really sorry that I just gave you that energy. You didn't deserve that. Mm-hmm. And then I remember my son, uh, some weeks or, or so uh, after that, my wife and son kind of got at it. He was 16, took the car, went. 10 minutes later, 
the phone rings and my wife is on the phone and I hear her just listening. She's like, oh, mm, thank you, love it. I so appreciate that. She hung up. I said, what did he say? He said, hey, mom, I'm really sorry I gave you that funky energy. You didn't deserve that. I was like, <laughs> freaking A, yeah, baby. You know, he, he that's the modeling. You know, we, we forget that it's just not modeling directly. They see no, us absolutely. all the time. So the way that I interacted with his mother gave him modeling to also feel what it feels like on his side to be able to try something out that he knows is in repair. So I think that's a note that we have to really watch. And in my practice, I tell parents a lot not to be judgmental and sticky and, and again, hitting the bullseye all the time, but I say really watch how you are relating to each other as adults and as parents to each other as a couple. That's going to be a strong modeling for your child later on. And, and people know that, but they're not really putting, I, I think, the level of consciousness that again, it doesn't have to hit the bullseye. It's the vulnerability and the humility to come out and own and take accountability. Because we know it takes a tremendous amount of self-compassion to take responsibility and accountability. If we feel shame, it's going to feel too painful to take accountability and responsibility because it's all about us. I'm a shitty person. I'm a shitty guy. You shouldn't even be with me as opposed to the self-compassion. So that's one way to teach our children self-compassion by us having it ourselves. Yeah. And, and I love what you're saying. And to add to it, I think it's actually the vulnerability of strong emotions coming up around children, right? Because there's all these great statistics about, I think it's 70%. This is John Gottman's work and Julie Gottman, the mm -hmm. 70% of couples after their first child experience major distress. And I know this feeling, right? When you get into something in front of your child, it actually happened when my parents were, they, they were, I was talking to them yesterday on FaceTime and they got into a bit of a fight. And actually what happened was the conversation actually like disintegrated, right? Like they couldn't focus anymore. I could mm -hmm. see they weren't listening, right? That the, that you feel so exposed when you're in front of your child and you get into a disagreement. That's probably sometimes what actually adds fuel to the fire of, of either mm -hmm. fighting more or like retreating. But as you're pointing out, and I do this deliberately too, I'm, I'm literally thinking to myself, my son needs to hear me apologize to my wife or like reference something. So he has a model, you know, which I actually think is relieving in the end, because if you know, right, if you know, you can come back, if we know that mm. trauma isn't making a mistake, which I think many of us think, oh God, we can't fight or we're, but if we actually know from the research that it's the coming back, as you're pointing out, the modeling that builds a flexible, emotionally related nervous system, well, then actually we can we can relax a bit more. And if someone hurts us in the moment and we get reactive, great. Yeah. We don't have to feel ashamed. But, no. but like you're pointing out, you got to come back. And I love that stuff when your son, you see him doing that. Mm. My son did it with me today. You know, he goes, remember? He goes, remember how I used, I used to not like doing that and I would get really crossed with you, meaning with me. And then you would talk to me about it. And as they get older, it's like, oh, there's that reflective, you know, because it's hard as a parent when you have those strong emotions yeah. in front of your kid. You just, I don't even want to put it away in a box or something. And Exactly. And even model intimacy and, and vulnerability with, with friends. As men, I have very good male friends that I'm vulnerable, I'm affectionate, I tell them I love them, I hold around them, I hug them, I kiss them. And modeling that to my son, he has beautiful friendships in that way. And I remember one of my friends said to me, you know why your son loves me so much? Because you love me so much. Oh that's God. why. And that's a, a, an awareness I think that, that we need to have. We have to also model, how do we model friendships to our kids by us going through that aspect of friendships and him hearing that vulnerability of apologies or me working through some things with friends. And I didn't shield him from, from that age appropriately. I didn't shield him. And I think that we, we forget, we forget how much of our own interactions can be that teaching instead of a lot of parents I see, they go right after the teaching always to their kid and like their kid are constantly rolling their eyes of like, oh, that's yeah, all right. you're doing. You're just parenting me with teaching all the time. Yeah. I, I wanted to, to weave this story in today, which I think, you know, we've gone from like the, the father-child relationship to then modeling with, with the couple, you know, with the child and modeling with friends. And then, you know, last night, my son and I had this, this camping cabin trip planned and I have access to this cabin in the woods. 
It's part of the swimming club that I belong to. And when I was leaving in the morning, I, I mentioned to you, I saw all these people with a lot of equipment going to the forest. And we knew, we saw some signs in the past few weeks that there were some ravers like, you know, so we come out to go camping and I planned all afternoon. And literally there's this, like they've set up on our porch, like, like the mixing table and speakers and, you know, this huge, you know, Bose bass, you know, speaker was in front of the door and, and I remember I arrived and there, there were two parts of me. Part of me was like, oh, I have this camp, you know, we're out in the forest and, and, but whatever, like I, I didn't, I think I had my own dad in me actually, because my dad mm -hmm. also is this soft, kind, small town guy who like just came around and supported me in my life. And so I kind of held this tension. They're like, do you want us to leave? And I kind of hadn't figured it out yet. I put my stuff in the cabin and there's hammocks, there's booze, there's smoke and whatever. And my son and I went for a swim. And at some point I said to myself, exactly what you're saying. I said, my son's going to remember this years from now, right? Because I knew that our friends had talked about how they'd called the cops at some point. And I'm like, my son's going to remember this. He's going to remember my reaction to these people who are here partying, number one, number two. This could have been me one year, 18 years old, 20 years old, go in the forest, have a party. What Would, would I like that old man to come and call the police <laughs> on me, you know? Right. And so to make a long story short, like I, I come back and, and the guy's like, hey, we can teach your kid to DJ. And I'm like, that'd be amazing. That'd be so cool. I grab my own beer. I come out and like, and we just, we just start partying with them. And, and my son danced until like close to 11 PM. And I have all this video of him just having an awesome evening. And one of these guys comes to me who had talked to my kid for a while and danced. And he goes, he goes, man, he goes, your kid, he's so cool. Like mm. he's so cool. And he goes to me, he goes, and he goes, you too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm, I sure just, you, I'm sure your son felt it. I'm sure your son felt that that was cool, that you were cool. Well, it's funny, you, you know, when you were talking just now, and I'm, it's interesting that we're talking about this today, because I actually called my dad from there. I felt my dad in me. It was mm. like, uh, it was like this ghost, like he was half there. And it was like, no, my dad would be kind. And there's tears in me as I say this, but like he would, you know, hey, okay, there's a party, you know, we'll have other days where we go and we we listen to the birds, but how often do you show up and there's a dance party at the cabin? And my son at one point early, he's like, oh, we're, we're VIPs, we could kick them out. And, <laughs> and it just, I don't know, like, like, as the night went on, I just said, hey, down the road, I, I hope if that happens to him, he'll just, you know, rooted like a tree. Hey man, like tonight you're partying. You, you didn't know yeah, it, but right. this is, this is yeah. what's happening. I mean, it's, it sounds beautiful, Mitch, how you just went from, you know, some people get wedded to an expectation. You know, my, an expectation to me is a yet to be realized resentment. You know, we get so oh, wedded so to get, right, right. We get so attached to an outcome. And it seemed at that moment, you, you paused in that and said, all right, there's a change here. Can I go mm -hmm. with... My mm -hmm. expectation is not what I want. And that's a beautiful teaching for our kids because we know what that's like in the world. If we're attached constantly to our expectations, there's going to be constant resentment. But if we're able to go, well, okay, wait a second, how can I bring myself to this moment that's a change that's not in my plan? Can I bring myself and can we make the best of what we have? That's a great teaching to our kids. Great. Teaching. There's something there, isn't it, in what you're saying? There's, some, there's something about the way I think we keep ourselves safe mm. by what we expect. We plan something. It almost like puts a bit of padding around us, I think it must. And, there, you know, there's this moment of almost like free falling a bit when things don't go. Because yeah. before we got on this, this call today, and I think I said this to you, the last thing I want, I don't find it easy to talk about this because it can sound judgy. And people... I know so many people of different styles of loving their kids. And I, you know, since starting this podcast, I've been more on social media and Facebook and I see all my friends and all these different walks of life and people who are religious and baptisms and all this stuff. And, and I'm like, man, people love their kids. And yet I think you and I are just zeroing in on something very precious about the attachment relationship that can just, because we love our kids actually go so sideways, you know, because because of the way it vibrates in our bodies will react. And the more I do therapy, the more I read about this stuff, the more I think it's tied to our mortality. And I talk about this That's all right. the time. Like, I think these are little moments where we have to just die 
and let ourselves die and, and somehow just allow that death to just let ourselves feel that pain and not arm wrestle. Yeah. And what and again, what better teaching that we can give to show the humanness of ourselves in front of our family, in front of our kids, to know that those moments that, like you possible. said, we die in, 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 the, in those moments, just being a human, not maybe knowing what to do in this moment, but bringing, bringing the foundation of who we are. I know for me, when I think about uh, my alignment, I just focus on how do I want to send this out to him? I want to be compassionate. I want to be clear. I want to be kind. And if I can see myself be that way and feel myself be that way, right? That's, that's the real catch, I think, is feeling myself in that way. Then I can see myself in many interactions that I have with him. Usually I take the shitty interactions that I've done in the past with him and I change that in my mind's eye to how I would want to feel mm -hmm. and be mm -hmm. and see. My mm -hmm. body doesn't know the difference now. It believes that I did that. So mm -hmm. I'm going to be more apt to do that in the, in the future. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the part also that you... That, that brought up, and I mentioned this to you in uh, past conversations, we had a baby that died in birth about 21 years ago. And so there was this realization at that moment of, of this illusion that was in my life. I expected to have another child, to be the father of two. And this baby was a girl. I'm going to have a whole different experience. And when the realization came that that's not... I had to be pulled out of that like black hole of abyss and just look and think, wait, wait, what do I have? What do I have? Not what could have been, mm -hmm. but what do I do have? Mm -hmm. And there was a focus around hearing my son laughing upstairs while we had a home birth and our baby was taken away in the ambulance. And, and there was this instant aspect of showing up with more of the reality of facing of acceptance mm -hmm. of what is than this illusion of what I want my life to be. And in some way that tremendously shifted. Like I remember after that, somebody was getting on their kid that no sugar, can't, get in, can't eat sugar whatsoever. I get that. We had our focuses with our son around food, but there was one part of me that said, man, if I could have my daughter back right now, she could eat fucking five yeah, really. tablespoons of sugar right now. So it brought a lot of things in perspective for me around that loss about how to actually accept and trust more what is. It was really hard to trust my path after that of my life and father of not having a, a, a child, but it was just tremendous gift and teaching. And that told me to trust my life, you know? Yeah. It's so visceral, isn't it? Huh? That, mm. that intimate, that sense of loss, like it, we didn't go through a tragedy like you in that regard. So I don't, I don't want to minimize it in any way, but I also always thought I would have two kids and my wife, you know, the birth was, was really tough. And at one point they couldn't get her blood pressure back. And that was, that was really scary. Like you could mm -hmm. tell the, the doctors weren't quite sure what was going on and that plus PhD plus everything else. And it was like, nope, one kid is fine, but it's in my body. It's like, like when I, all these moments where I had to almost say to myself, it's not going to happen. Like, this is not, this is not. And, and then, the, and then like, and then, and then this other feeling would come in and be like, but God, it's like, what is happening is so good. <laughs> it'd be this, yeah. like, it'd be this teeter totter almost like this weird feeling of like, I thought it would be this way. And then it would sort of melt. And, and, and I would almost be in the splendor of like, oh yeah, but look at what actually is. And so I yeah. love. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I had to learn to like, live within my body, not, not two feet from my body. You yeah, know, it's right, like living right. in yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what I beautiful. was experiencing. Yeah. That was a, a, a great teaching that I, I forever take all of the, all of the time. What's mind. helped you in your life? I mean, I, I think we're talking about bearing grief. I know yoga for me, it's a huge part of that. I'm curious if there's anything in your life that you credit that helped create room for a whole range of things we talked about today, the despair when things don't go the right way, the ability to deal with humiliation and shame. And what do you think in your life helped create space to not, to see it, but also not react or not be two feet from your body? I love that. <laughs> well, I, th I think it's, that's, a, that's a constant practice. And so there's many things, of course, what I just said, the uh, death of our baby and birth was one. 
I, I would also say it sounds kind of trivial, but I played baseball most of my life as a young person all the way through in college. And it was in college that I stopped playing baseball for, for many reasons. And there was a big death for me in that. I, I pictured myself. I was a, a very good baseball player. And, and there was this illusion that I had of like, holy shit, now that I don't have this in my life, who am I? You know, I, I identified with it so much. I got accolades. I, you know, people looked up to me now that I wasn't this. And this was at 20 years old. You know, how can I shift and have that confidence within in other areas of my life? And I remember I was at Michigan State University. And when I quit, I had to now have, I had open afternoons now in my schedule. And because I wasn't playing baseball anymore. And I quickly went into the big intramural building with thousands of people to register. I just needed a class between Tuesdays and Thursday at, at 1.30. The first thing that I saw was Japanese 101 in between those times. And I was like, oh shit, you know, I kind of like watching Kung Fu and I'll just take Japanese. I ended up taking the course, loving it, majoring, dual majoring it, ended up living in Japan, ended up working in the Japanese business sector, it, there was a, an awakening for me in some way about these tragedies that I think I'm off my path or it's going to be detrimental. It's like, no, 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 no. I have no idea where this is going to take me. If I can just embrace these different ways in my pathway, it's, that's, that's just a, a, a beautiful trusting again. So I think some of that, that grief, loss is loss, doesn't matter what it is the baseball loss, the child loss, if I'm able to understand that in, in loss, if I keep open to that life force keeps wanting to experience and expand and grow, then there's confidence that I don't, if I don't know what it looks like in the moment, I want to have confidence that I want to be experiencing it and see it in the future without having to know what it is. So yeah. there was, there was things, many things that happened, parents divorce, other things, that occurred, financial challenges that I had later on. But there was an aspect, again, of like just trusting in something that I can't see right now, that growth can come out of it. Hmm. I was walking with with my son today and in the forest and uh, one of the great parts of watching them get older, and it sounds like you've got your son with you right now and he's he's an adult, right? And that must be so cool. 25, yeah. (laughs) And my son's 10, he's like, you know, he goes, the universe, it's endless. He's like, you can't, he goes, at some point when you start thinking about it, he goes, you can't think about it anymore, that it, it's too, it's too complicated. It goes on for two, you know, he goes, you, you get to a certain point where it's exponential. And what was fascinating was that, and I said to him, I said, you know, when I was a kid and I would lie in my bed before I went to sleep, I would try and imagine what nothing was. You know, we talk about the big bang, but I would try and imagine mm-hmm what existed before there was anything. And I would feel myself free falling in my bed, like as if, as if I touched something and I I can't, like I'm disappearing. (laughs) And, and I'm I'm sharing this because it, it it sounds like in these moments of transition, there's something, you know, the physicists, you know, in a very real sense, talk about not being able to destroy matter. Right. So this Mm -hmm. baseball career, and I love baseball too, by the way. So I just had this fantasy of you and I, shooting the shit playing cash together we got we got to do that when we see each other (laughs) but there's got to be something when we lose the grip on our what we know to be our own self and personality that's a kind of dismemberment you know Jung Carl Jung was great at talking about that because he he leaned on alchemy a lot and these images of dismemberment and I, I guess it's just not it's not very popular because we we pathologize sadness so much we we're, you know we're afraid to be depressed and and again that's not a comment on any of you that are listening that that are really dealing with with significant challenges but there's something about this just falling apart that that mm. we just have to normalize with each other you know the beginning middle and end you know and the end is often the hardest part because it's it's the loss and and that's a lovely story. I think I've shared with you that when we moved and I sold my house in Canada, I, I was uh, I was talking to myself in the street. I was sleeping on my neighbor's couch. I couldn't I couldn't go into this house, this beloved house. But it was it was just before the pandemic, and it was the best thing I ever did. It simplified my life in all these ways. And I, six months later, I was like, I couldn't believe if I'd had to manage all this 
Mm. So I guess there's a reward there. There's a, not to, not to romanticize all of it, but there's something that we have to get out of our own way. And, uh, and we have to allow life to mess up. I remember some years ago, 15 years ago, I got a letter from the IRS and it, you know, one of those letters, like you really messed up, blah, blah, blah. And I remember sitting on the bed, looking at my wife and said, honey, I fucked up. I really messed up. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, you messed up. And I'm thinking that is not the yeah. response. I wipe up your head. No, you know, come on, support me. And she looked at me. She goes, that's right, people. You got to mess it up. Go ahead, honey. Just mess it up. Life is all about messing up. And I looked at it. I'm like, oh, thank you so much, sweetie. A week later, another letter from the IRS. Of, Oops, our bad, our mistake. You didn't mess it up. It was ours, right? And But just that allowing of like, we know that life is messy. If we hold on so tight, in some way of being attached again to some aspect of perfection, then we're never gonna experience our humanness and the expansion of that. And to be able to do that with people that you care about and love, boy, that is juicy. Like that is, that is why I wanna be around. That's why I wanna keep on being around. I got chills right now. And, and I got mm. chills because, because I just wanna thank you. When we connected, it, it I, I literally walked away and I said, this is, this is why I'm doing the podcast. Not, I mean, I love my friends. I love, you know, I got lots of great colleagues and people I hang out with. And, but to be able to open my heart and to hear you open your heart and talk about the things that we love, you know, when I heard your voice and, and I think someone commented about our, the podcast that it on your show, yeah. right? That there's a kind yeah. of kinship there and there's something really immensely gratifying. And it reminds me of some of my early male relationships where we could just really talk. And so I, I want to thank you for that. It, it, mm. you know, I know that with our lives and careers that we're going to come in and out, but it's a real pleasure when we get to do it. And I hope those listening, you know, draw something from our own foibles and and love for this craft, right? I mean, everyone's got yeah. their specialty, as Samuel Beckett said. And I, uh, yeah, I appreciate you making the time to be here with me. Yeah, thank you so much. I feel that resonance too from our first conversation and subsequently even how we even throw back emails whatsoever, you know, back and forth and when you are on my podcast. But the resonance for especially the vulnerability of two men to be able to be with each other in this content and share our lives and share our feelings and share our joys. I love when I can feel your expression when I tell a story about my son or, or, or so forth that's dear to me. I can feel you sharing in my joy. So I want to thank you so much for, for that and that experience together. And awesome. I'm so looking forward to more. Yeah. Let's find some time to play cash together. <laughs> yeah, that would be beautiful. One quick story about that is when my son went back to Europe, he lives in Europe. When he went back over Christmas, we were getting ready to go to the airport. We had about 10 minutes before he went into the car and he comes out to me and he's got both mitts. Come right? on. And it's, it's, 32, it's 32 degrees out. I, I had tears in my eyes while I was crying. Like he, he threw me that bone. He knew how important that was for me in our goodbye. And we just played five minutes of catch together. To me, like he saw me, he he knew he, he threw me that gift, you know, and that's, that's invaluable. Yeah, it's the stories, right? It's the yeah. uh, it's the ways that we contain this experience that keep us going, and yeah. uh, this certainly right. helps me. So, take good yeah. care and enjoy your time with him. I hope you have a lovely. Thank month. you. Uh, yeah, you too, brother. You too. Cool. Thanks. What a treat to be able to spend an hour just riffing with people on parenting and, and what it takes for us to make room for the spirit of the child to emerge. And I think what I appreciated most about being able to have this conversation with people was just normalizing what it actually takes for us to withstand the burgeoning being that we are bringing into the world and all the ways that that affects us and challenges us to grow and make room as people, as parents, as other human beings who are putting one foot in front of the other and the attention it takes to come back and revise our thinking and get accustomed to new emotions and just how important that is to constantly be in that state of curiosity. So I want to thank people for being here with me today. 
I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. As always, please rate and review the podcast and subscribe. Come on over to my website. There's tons of information, articles. My workbook is there. And I look forward to seeing you soon.